Welcome to this edition of Joffrey Maverick Memories Podcast, a companion project for the documentary film Joffrey Mavericks of American Dance. This series will highlight personal stories from the alumni of the Joffrey Ballet Company during its more than 50-year history to give a unique inside perspective on what it was like to be part of this groundbreaking American dance company. Today's guest is Henry Young, a former executive director of the Joffrey Ballet from 1978 to 1981. During his tenure, he secured an emergency grant from the National Endowment for the Arts that allowed the company to avoid insolvency. He arranged for a gala at the Metropolitan Opera House with Lena Horne, which resulted in clearing the Joffrey deficit in 1979, and he routinely advised Robert Joffrey on how to cut the company's expenses while increasing its revenue stream. Today, he's the head of Young Associates, a consultancy providing fundraising and management counsel to arts organizations. So you were the former executive director from 1978 to 1981. Right. And tell me, because I think probably some um, people in the audience don't know, what does an executive director do that's different from an artistic director? You know, really, uh, it's a combination, and it really depends on the director. Uh, you know, what are the what are the assets and shortcomings of a director uh, from the business point of view? Uh, our my primary function when I first got to the Joffrey was to determine what elements of the organization actually worked as a business plan, and uh, and identified issues that probably had to be considered in the long term. So very early on, it was very clear that the, the, the expense to put on <clears throat> the seasons in New York were extremely high. Uh, it was much cheaper to tour. Uh, we, we earned more money on touring. And, uh, and, and we earned e- even more when we were under State Department aegis or other kinds of activities. So, you know, you begin to discuss with the director then what are the things that you, we might do to uh, be in activity that is more positive than negative, or what do we have to do to increase rapidly the charitable giving to to offset the loss the loss periods. The the problem for Joffrey was that it had formed such a busy life of touring. Uh, that it didn't really ever have time in New York City, where it was home-based, to uh, to essentially develop uh, extended and permanent tentacles into the 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 donor community. In other words, it was it was a we arrived, we did our thing, and then immediately we were out on the road following up any season we did. And so there was never really much time. So when you really said how much how much time was was Robert or uh, or the company in town, it was principally the rehearsal periods, layoff periods, or uh, the season. And the rest of the year, uh, it was on the road. Now, where is this expense? When you say expenses in New York to perform, they had a special deal with City Center, I thought. So what was the expense? Well, the expense, the the deal with City Center was terminated uh, long before I got there, and their their uh, relationship had been a. Uh, now you know this is many many years, and so I'm not going to remember the exact numbers, but I would say that they had a three hundred and eighty thousand uh, dollar subvention from the New York City Center. 
And when the when the organization got into trouble with the Ford Foundation grants going down because of their own economic investments in real estate investment trust, uh, the the ballet found itself going from about six hundred thousand to three hundred thousand to zero in in grants within a very very short three or four year period of time, and and so. Uh, I think this was about 73 or four. Um, uh, Joffrey received a letter from New York City Center saying that that given the given the uh, the economic uh, travails of the company, that uh, uh, it was going to reduce its support of the company, mm-hmm. and so suddenly there was an additional cut, a very large number. I think that 350 or 385 went to, down to something like 60, 75, maybe 85,000. I just don't, I'd have to really pull back and get all my notes and things from that. But, uh, but uh, in round numbers, it was a very substantial drop. So think of, uh, think of philanthropy as kind of dealing with a, an express elevator going down and an escalator coming up. That's usually the pattern. So mm-hmm. you, you have to build large volumes of people to replace very big sources of grants that go down quickly. So the one thing that's been brought up several times with, with writers on the film who you know, watched it and tried to make an analysis of what happened in the 70s was that Joffrey was just a bad businessman. He was, he was good artistically as far as the vision and the creativity, but he couldn't run a business, and that was what the problem was. But you're saying there was really a combination of factors that happened at that time, and some of them out of his control. I didn't find him a bad businessman. I mean, I, I, I felt that he was a peak and valley person. He he could come in with very extended energy and then he there were periods where he was harder to find and reach or to get focused. So he was not decisive when moments came up. But you know, we we have examples of that every day in our world. I mean, we certainly understood the banking community was in trouble long before we had the failure of Lehman Brothers and and AIG, and there wasn't much being done in in Washington to figure out how to avoid what you know you would call the BlackBerry decision time. So I mean, this happens all the time. Pretty early on, we talked about it would be much better if we could be in a community where we could have more dance activity in one community and less on the road. Uh, it wasn't possible when you had ABT and, and, uh, and Feld and New York City Ballet and Joffrey all competing for the same uh, portions of the same audience. Uh, so we all basically had enough business to kind of justify our existence, but where we really, where most of us really live was on the road. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And then, uh, so any of the um, more extravagant story ballets that he put together in the 70s, The, the Dream and um, Petrushka and, you know, some of the, where he started to bring in outside choreographers and bigger productions, um, it just happened to be a not very good coincidence that that was the time when grant funding was being cut and um, 
and it was harder to find donors to take up the slack. It was harder to find the donors who could give at the capacity that the existing donors were giving at. Okay. So it wasn't a matter of not finding donors. It was finding that finding a replacement for $300,000 when the donor might be giving 125. That was going to take a lot more time than the Joffrey had uh, given itself. You know, I had the, uh, the unfortunate obligation to fly to San Antonio and meet with Bob and say, you know, I think we need to, to shut the company down for six months and raise money like all get out and get to the point that we were ahead of the actual cash flow needs of the company. And that actually worked. I mean, we did it. We accomplished our mission uh, to do that. It was very painful. We, Bob went through a lot of exercises to try to ensure that the company members he was going to retain uh, had, uh, had employment during the period, whether it was modeling or other things. He worked very hard at that. Uh, but it was really, we had to shut off the expense side, but not shut off the income side and get ahead. Because we were, you know, when I arrived, there were a million one in the negative. And when I left, they were balanced budgets. Now, how does one raise money for a company that's gone on hiatus? You know, I mean, generally, companies want to sponsor or be part of an organization they feel is healthy and vibrant. <laughs> um, what do you, how do you approach sponsors by saying the company's laid off and won't have a, you know, won't be working actively where you can see them anytime soon? Well, you know, the company was blessed by this combination of repertoire, you know, that, that it had that history of innovation and dangerous kind of activity. It had the, the historic part of the, the effort of, of, of an interest of Robert. Uh, and, uh, and, it had a, and it had a history of service, both internationally, you know, dancing in Afghanistan or going to Russia. And, and, and it had a, 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 an important service in America. So it was easy to, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it was, it, was, it was an easy positioning statement to say to the National Endowment that we can't let the company go down. And it was going to need a way to ensure to donors that it had a vibrant possibility if it could achieve three or four key steps in the next six months. And so they awarded us a grant of 300, uh, uh, is, this, is this right, maybe uh, – Maybe it's only 185,000. I can't quite remember the numbers now. It's just too long ago. It's 25 years. But uh, we put through a grant request with Rotograuer and, uh, and uh, Livingston Biddle was the chairman, in which it was the first grant ever put through the NEA in which the, the National Council did not convene in a live meeting. They did it over the phone. That was how much of an emergency it was felt to save the company. And so uh, when you were, we were able to use that, of course, with, with donors to say this kind of urgency decision on the part of the federal government shows the position they hold it to be of importance in a broad American culture. And, uh, uh, and it was a sound plan. We, it, it, we had a business plan that said if we could get this goal achieved, we would be, we would have sufficient cash in the bank to operate six months without 
without a problem. And we weren't saying we would stop fundraising. We were just saying we were going to get a cash position that allowed us to to uh, to have sufficient breathing room to operate. I think we ended up with about four and a half months. We didn't get sick, but kept the company going. During that period, uh, uh, interestingly enough, one 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 evening we were I was sitting in a in a, a hotel in in New York and uh, with a donor. The donor left. I was having coffee and in walked uh, Lena Horn. And uh, before I left the before I left the, the 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 restaurant, I went over to introduce myself to her. And I had seen her as a young boy in the days of when the Waldorf Astoria had a, a rolling roof, no AC, but a rolling roof, and you could go up and uh, and hear performances and dance, et cetera, in the in the, the rooftop uh, a ballroom. And uh, uh, she had sung with. Count Basie's band. I think this was probably about 54 or 55. And I saw her as a very, very young boy. And uh, so I was retelling her this story. And I said, by the way, I was just be curious if you could sing anywhere in the world and with anyone, what would you want to do? And she said, you know, I'd love to sing at the Metropolitan Opera and I'd love to sing Stormy Weather with Pavarotti. And Pavarotti was supposed to sing with her. When I walked away from that room, I had the thought in my mind. I had asked her the name of her agent, who was Ralph Harris, and he said uh, in my head, I was saying, "Gee, what about a a uh, what about a gala at the at the at the Met with Lena Horne and the Joffrey Ballet?" And called Tony Bliss the next day, and uh, and uh, we we put that event together. And uh, that was the final, the final element, the final key element that that brought the whole the whole uh, story of the Joffrey financially back in, into balanced budgets. Uh, I think we raised six hundred thousand dollars in one night. And then you talk about um, uh, that early in, in about 79, 80, you had had conversations about possibly moving the company out of New York and into another city, possibly Chicago, which is actually where it culminated, <laughs> but not until the mid-90s. Um, what was the hesitation and um, you know, what, what were you thinking about that? Why was that beneficial? And why were they not open to discussing it? Uh, the concept, uh, to, to review what we had said earlier, the concept was that it would be great if we could spend six months in one community versus uh, 12 weeks in one community and the balance of the year mostly touring and, and being on the road that that's not a really solid fundraising strategy that you need relationships and you can't have relationships if you are constantly on to the next town. And we, we, we were effectively raising money on the road. We, I don't want to suggest that we weren't San Antonio had Dr. Jan, uh, uh, Iowa city had Dr. January and we had a family in, uh, in Iowa, in, uh, in, uh, San Antonio. Uh, we had donors in, in California and San Francisco and, and LA. So it wasn't that wasn't happening. It just wasn't at the quantity 
that you could have or the depth of relationship. In other words, I would say we were blind dating, but we weren't married to anybody. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay. And and uh, where you could, if you had, if you were more present, you could have that kind of relationship build. Clearly, that's happening for the Joffrey in Chicago today. Right. Yes. Uh, um, but they did have. They were bi-coastal in the eighties uh, with L.A. So um, I wonder why there was never an idea to to just have the company base in on the West Coast instead. Well, there were uh, there were three uh, communities that Bob was interested in uh, on the subject of living somewhere else, Chicago, and primarily because of the Auditorium Theater and its continuity of presenting the company from the first Cami tour, Columbia Artist Management tour, in the in the station wagon days, they were presented at the Auditorium as one of those cities. And so uh, uh, B. Spatchner, who was the woman who single-handedly saved the auditorium theater from demolition, uh, uh, was a, a very uh, deep relationship with Bob and Jerry. And you had uh, Ruth Levy. You had many people in uh, uh, in in Chicago who were early leaders, Bruce Sanger. I mean, there were there were many people. And uh, that had grown up with a company uh, from those early auditorium theater days. So that was of interest to him. Uh, uh, But Chicago had not had a a tremendous uh, victory with dance, uh, with either uh, 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 Tall Chief or uh, or, uh, the Chicago City Ballet or whatever it was called there with Ruth. and uh, so uh, <clears throat> he was wary about whether or not the community was disposed sufficiently to dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, L.A. Uh, began to develop an interest, and it was really a strategic interest. It wasn't necessarily interest in the Joffrey. It was a strategic interest in what to do when the Disney Hall opened. And uh, in other words, what was going to fill the uh, the uh, the Chandler Pavilion, and uh, and uh, so they were looking at dance as a possibility. Uh, that the but because the Disney Hall took much longer to raise the funds and open than anticipated. The fruits of being in L.A. in a permanent setting did not bear sufficient fruit at the beginning. In other words, it didn't really alter. We we suddenly were bi-coastal, but it wasn't sufficient time available because the L.A. Phil still required the time in in the original hall before they moved to Disney. Mm -hmm. And so that... That plan just wasn't working out, and then of course there was after Bob died there was the power play of the of 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 wanting somebody else than than Jerry to run the company, and Jerry uh, pulled his repertory, and the uh, and the donor in question uh, had to kind of rescind his 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 fight, but that also was in the cards that long-term that donor would uh, reach back to being a, a, uh, 
an LA, an LA music center donor would eventually bear uh, political costs for that decision of Jerry's. Thank you for listening to this edition of our podcast. Visit our website at www.joffreymovie.com to sign up and receive a free series of digital photo books entitled Joffrey Maverick Moments. Find us on Facebook, Joffrey Ballet Movie. Follow us on Twitter, at Joffrey Movie. And view our video clips on our YouTube channel, Joffrey Movie.